Broadcasting live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, deep inside the secret bee cave, it's Joel Blank and Jeremy Brenham. 713-780-ESPN. He's Blank. I'm Brenham. Uh, Texan season, it just ended. The Texan season ended on Saturday. It's over. Sadly, it is done. Now, further than I think anybody expected, division round, you lose to Baltimore, first-year head coach, first-year quarterback, uh, fantastic season. Didn't play their best on Saturday. Didn't play their best on Saturday, but a good season overall. Are we ready for off-season talk? Because I'll, I'll dig into some off-season talk. I love some off-season talk. I, I like draw. I like talking about salaries and potential free agents and potential cuts. Uh, potential the draft picks is a little hard to look at because it comes after a free agency and the Texans are picking 23rd this year as opposed to second where there's tons of prospects. You don't know how the draft's going to go as opposed to when you're picking second. You can kind of, you know, you, you can really look at just a, a handful of guys and, and pick your favorites. So when do you want to start off-season talk? It's just a little exercise that we're trying to understand you, the listener, to make it a little bit better quality show for you, entertaining show for you. 713-780-3776. Where do you stand on this, Blankers? Look, I'm curious what other people think because to me, it's like now is the time when you analyze the best of the best. You got two ones versus two threes. You've got some of the best football being played at the most important time of the year, and it's a great time to talk about a great season. We're not talking about another head coach in another lost year of disappointment with all the things that they did wrong and all the losses that they had. It's all positivity at this point. Yeah, you, you're upset about the way it ended this weekend, but you're looking at it going, okay, now how do we take the next step to get to the next level to be like those four teams that are playing in the conference championship game? And so you can talk about it. I get it. The draft talk goes on way too long, but again, we're not talking about searching for a franchise quarterback and a way to get it in the draft and all the other holes to fill. Now you're talking strategically about you got pretty darn good pretty quick. Where are the holes you need to fill? How do you get to where you need to go by making improvements on both sides and handling your finances and still get who you need out of the draft? I think it's a fun time to talk about your team because of the fact that it's still fresh in your mind where you think the improvements need to be made, who played really well, who do you want to bring back, and then looking at those four teams going – what do we need to do to get to that level? 6036 offseason talk uh, would be best after you know who will be the OC. So you know the scheme and what is important, but you could start the defensive talk now. See where you're coming from? I, I just have a very difficult time thinking that the Texans go away from this scheme. What are they going to change? I, I, well, if Solik leaves and now you're in the market for an offensive coordinator and you bring in Eric Bieniemy or Cliff Kingsbury, now, I, now you're changing up your scheme. See, I don't think they're going to do that. I don't either. I, I think, think it's they're going to stick shot. with the, the Shanahan uh, shell. And they're going to stay in that mold, and that's exactly what CJ flourished in. So why wouldn't why wouldn't you just stick with that? You can bring in you know different terminology, different playbook, different coach, but you keep it in 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 the. I mean, it's the kiss their uh, philosophy anyway. But you keep it simple, stupid. Like if it worked and everything, and you had this great year, why would you go away from it? One seven six four says Pro Bowl weekend. That doesn't exist. There's no such thing as Pro Bowl weekend. That's a myth, right? That is not real. It's flag football weekend. Oh, they do play the flag football. They play flag That's football and they real. do the uh, the skills challenge. That's not real, Joe. Where do you stand on this? When when are we talking? I mean, Joe's been he's a Bears fan. He's been talking about it since week five. When do when does off season football talk begin? It starts now. Okay. Sorry, the Rockets are irrelevant. It starts Ooh, now. Wow. Irrelevant? They're fighting for a play in spot. Cool. Joe George. No one cares. Like <laughs> I care a little bit, but like for me, like it's football and baseball twenty four seven. So like I'm good to start. Now. Don't disrespect Cougar basketball, Joe. I number of, number I, four I mean, in the nation, number one in the net, number one yeah, in the There's a lot of basketball to love. A lot of basketball to love, Joe. 
That's disrespectful. But time is now. I says nine four nine four nine seven says the time is now. Lots of exclamation points. Spencer says today. Would you take a flyer on Chase Young if available? I heard he might be going back to Washington. What? Yeah. <laughs> Why? I, I heard they might they don't want even him have back. a head coach yet. But I heard that they, he liked it there, and that they may want him. They may want him back. You know what's funny is they did hire Peters, who kind of traded for him in San Francisco. So. Like I mean, I know he wasn't calling the shots in San no, I'm Francisco. Saying, so, so there you go. But Maybe he was in San Francisco and going to Washington. Some of the insiders talking about the fact that he could end up back landing right back in Washington, and, and, and they go from there. Look, Chase Young's a guy. You're gonna Grenard is a big piece to this puzzle, and, and it's either way. If he leaves, you got to replace him. If he stays, at what price, and, and how is that going to limit what you want to do at, in other areas of the team? But you got to figure it out one way or another. And if he leaves, you got to find another pass rusher for the other side of Will Anderson. Zero eight nine one. We need a Brian Dawkins type player on defense. I love that. You know, I love physical football. Um, I, I say I think it's today. I, I think off season talk starts now. I, I agree with the last couple of textures. Like you're, you have a fun football team, and you have a chance to really add to this team. Uh, you have kind of a full allotment of draft picks. Uh, you have $60 million-ish dollars to spend after these future deals eventually get done. Uh, I think that it's now. Now, Chase Young with the Texans, you're right. The Grenard has to be the first decision you make. I think I'm ready to make my declaration on John Grenard. Mm. I think I'm ready to decide what and what not to do with John Grenard. Keep in mind, a lot of the, a lot of the Houston sports fans wanted to give a blank check to Carlos Correa. Just keep that in mind. I, I'm scared off on John Grenard's past injury history. John Grenard's had one. Like, if he gets paid somewhere, let's just say $17 million. Because I've seen the range between 15 to, like, 20. Let's just call it kind of down the middle and give a little bit of a conservative side uh, to, to the lower side. So $17 million a year for John Grenard. How many years in John Grenard's career has he played as a $17 million a year player? Half. Once. One year. I don't even think it's half. It's like In 21, he had a solid year. I concede that he had a solid year in 21. He had eight sacks, played 12 games. I'm sorry, but eight sacks isn't enough for $17 million. Right. A solid year. I'm not saying that it wasn't a solid year. It was a solid year. But eight sacks and missing at least four games, that's not going to cut it for $17 million a year. Yeah, no, look, I, I think in context – who was he playing around and how he was able to get those sacks with a, probably a pretty poor team matters too, to where now you have more things to concentrate on. If you're the OC and the, and the way your blocking schemes go to where you could expect that if he plays to that level, he could get to more, but you're absolutely right. I mean, look, when you're committing to a guy that the, the health and the health history matters just as much as everything else. Cause as you always remind me and everybody else, you're not paying them for what they've done. It's what you expect them to do. And if the expectation is, hey, his whole career, he's had a good year and a bad year, he's been healthier and then not so healthy, then you have to factor that into the equation and go, I don't want to commit full-time dollars for a part-time player. Yeah, that's where, that's where I'm at. Like, he's never, even this year, he didn't have the full season. And that Aaron Wilson report sticks with me. I don't know if Aaron Wilson's the right. Sprain? If it was a grade one ankle sprain and he's missing a must-win game in week 17 and week 18, that worries me, man. Like that's that's I understand. Uh, like I, I hope that Aaron Wilson's report is wrong on that. I really do, and I don't know if it's one hundred percent true or it's one hundred percent false. I have no clue. But if you miss, if it is true, and I'm saying right now, a huge reservation that it might not be true. But if you're missing two must-win games with a grade one ankle sprain, that's that's a cause for concern. I think if it if that's all those things do come to fruition, and you say, well, then it was a business decision by him. 
not that you like it, but you understand he's trying to cash in as big as he can get. But then what I was going to ask you is, okay, say we move on from him. Say that the consensus down on Kirby is exactly what you're talking about for a variety of different reasons. We love what he did. We're not in the ballpark to pay him what he wants. How do you replace him? Are you looking at a guy that is a, a pure pass rusher on the other side? Are you looking at a guy that could just wreak havoc in a different way? We mentioned Queen is one of those guys. I think Josh Allen's a free agent. Jacksonville, I expect that they're probably going to try and keep him. But you're looking at guys going, okay, so does it have to be a pure edge rusher on the other side of Anderson, or can it be a guy that gives you more help in the middle of your defense? The my my, You want to hear my idea? Yeah. J.J. Watt. Oh, stop it. J.J. Watt. Why not? Why not J.J. Watt? If it was prime J.J. Watt, it'd be one thing. Well, it's not only J.J. Watt. You're, you're going you're gonna to bring in some rotational pieces, too, whether it's a Derek Barnett, whether you're drafting somebody, Watt's only playing third down, something like that. But that's my plan. Like, J.J. Watt comes back on an affordable deal because he loves his captain, D'Amico Ryans. He's kind of hinted that he's like, yeah, he, I don't, I don't, like, his hints are weird. Like, I don't know if he's just looking for attention or if he's really, like, entertaining the idea of coming back. So instead of Grenard on $17 million, go give me somebody who can, like, rotate at the defensive end spot opposite of Will Anderson. Whether it's a draft pick, late first, early, or late first or second round pick, you bring in Watt to play 30% of the snaps, maybe only on third down, and then go find a, go find a bargain-free agent where Nick Casario has been really good at finding bargain-free agents. Big Derek Barnett up on waiver wire and was a pretty stinking good football player down the stretch. So you get a combination opposite of Will Anderson where you have three guys you have rookie wherever you draft them you have a bargain free agent that's coming in on cheap if it's a barnett type like barnett had like three and a half sacks like in the last six weeks like that's incredible production and then if watts really entertaining the idea of coming back hey jj come back sign me a better better and minimum deal we'll play as a part-time edge rush type of player that in passing situations i i that to me is the way to go and that's incredibly affordable where you can spend most of your money at other places. So the question to me, the questions then pop up right away about, first and foremost, is he going to take veterans' minimum deal? Because it seems like he's still looking to get paid. And so at what point do you, do you have to pay to get him, especially on a part-time deal? And then just the way you mentioned Grenard and health. As good as he was for many, many years here and we saw his heyday, Later in his career, he had a lot of injuries. You got to worry about wasn't it a, uh, an issue with his with his heart as well that came up late in his career that he he emphasized was part of the reason why he was stepping away. Then we always knew he always had the shoulder and the arm issue. He had other issues that forced him to cut his season short. So you're looking at it saying, yeah, you're doing him a solid, and it, it's a it's a win win because he's in the building. He can teach the young guys. He's situationally still good playing football. You know, thirty percent of the time. And then at what price? So there's so many question marks with it. Well, but- I, it had to be cheap. It had to be cheap. And this guy says that J.J.'s always hurt. Like, I'm not expecting J.J. to play every snap. I'm expecting him to rush the quarterback on third downs. And then I'm going young player, and I'm going bargain-free agent every other snap uh, on the opposite side. Plus, this needs to be Will Anderson's team. Like, I understand the idea of pairing Grenard with Will Anderson, and it sounds great. But Grenard at $17 million. He's supposed to be your defensive end, too, because of, you know, drafting Will Anderson where you drafted him. And I think Will Anderson is a really good football player. The idea of, of like, pairing them together sounds great, but is John Grenard going to play up to a $17 million a year salary for the next four years? He's done it once in his previous four years. I don't. I, I don't think that. I don't think it's he a, would. It's a definite reason to be concerned. And then to me, it's just: can you upgrade and or replace him at a more reasonable 
opportunity, right? Whether it's maybe you pay the same amount to a guy that you feel like is going to be more reliable and still has the upside to get better. But one way or another, that's why I said, you could be dominant and, and, and have it more come from the middle of the field, but then in the draft or some other way, I still expect that they have to get another edge rusher. Or Well, I mean, I think you're going to carry, like, that would be four right there. Like, you would have Will Anderson under contract, second year of a rookie deal. Uh, you're signing your veteran bargain in free agency, which is the best one you can find that fits your scheme at, you know, five, six, seven million dollars a year. Would you Barnett two. that guy if you just bring him back? Maybe. Depends on the salary, right? Yeah. But, yeah, Barnett looked good. Like, Barnett, if, like... I don't think Barnett's as good as John Grenard, but would you pay Barnett five or Grenard seventeen? Right, that's what I'm saying. Like, it, I, I'd rather could go Barnett, with Barnett. Be that guy because what he showed you in a small dose was maybe he wasn't the first round pick that the Eagles ha- had him targeted to be, but he was better than average when he came here. Yeah, so that would be my plan. Like, I, I don't think Grenard can play up to the seventeen million dollar a year deal consistently. The injury proneness scares me. He's only done it once in his entire career. Uh, the Texans are going to be around sixty to sixty-five to seventy million dollars. If you pay Grenard seventeen of that sixty, now you're looking at forty-three, which is still healthy. That's still comfortable. But you have a lot of other needs: tight end, running back. Uh, what are you doing at a defensive tackle? So I'm making my declaration of not paying John Grenard. I'm letting John Grenard walk. I can and, go there. I can't go to the JJ because I. I mean, that's I, kind I, of out there. I get yeah, it. And I believe that JJ's probably making way more money doing football, I mean, doing uh, commentary, and he's obviously not having to put all the extra work in, and I think he's at a point in his life where he's been breaking down a lot physically. But I'm in for getting that kind of more of a bargain, effective Barnett or veteran type, like Jerry Hughes with a little left, more left in the tank. Yeah. And, and kind of getting a little creative, because I would like to see them as good as the guys in the middle of the field were in the linebacking core and, and all that. And you do have to address your defensive line mm-hmm. and the defensive tackles. But I think that if you could get someone that's a little bit more dominant in the middle of the field, too, it would be a huge help for D'Amico and his defense. And I think Renard is good, but how much of it is scheme? And go look at go look at how often they split snaps at defensive end too. Like even when Grenard's one hundred percent healthy, he's playing seventy percent of the snaps. Like, and I understand nowadays it's still a lot. You want him to be fresh, all of those things. But I, I think I'm more spread the wealth, sign some some bargain free agents, really make sure the middle of the defensive line is strong. And as you like, if we're, if you're going to go after like a Patrick Queen type. Well, you're going to have to save money elsewhere. That means you're probably letting Grenard walk. It means you're probably not going to sign a a top-of-the-market wide receiver. You're probably going to sign a second, third-tier guy or draft one. Uh, So that's where I'm at with Grenard. Maybe that's radical. Maybe it's crazy. Maybe you all disagree. And if you do, 713-780-ESPN, HRMP listener line, 713-780-3776. We saw the best of the AFC on Saturday. Now you have to figure out how to get on that level. Where do you start? What do you need? What are your primary areas of concern and need for that immediate improvement? 713-780-3776. Killer Bees, ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5. Jays, we've got Joel, Jeremy, and Joe. That's three Jays coming to you live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5. It's the Killer Bees and Murderous Jays. He's Blank. I'm Branham. We are the Bees on ESPN 97.5, ESPN at 92.5. You saw the best of the AFC Saturday with the Ravens. It's going to be fun with them and the Chiefs. Uh, Now you have to figure out how to get to that level. Where do you start? What do you need? What are your primary areas of concern and need for immediate improvement? Blankers? Uh, Look, there's a couple for me. And the first thing is, is, is that they've got to create balance 
they've they've got to be and Singletary's a free agent. I think the running game has to be one area of concern because as good as CJ was and CJ's primary way of succeeding was throwing the football, as we all know, you got to have a better running game. You got to have a more consistent running game. You, you went into the the season thinking that you were going to capitalize on year two of Damian Pierce, who was one of your two best players. Everybody thought along with Petrie, both guys kind of fell off. Some fell further than others. But if you look at Petrie as a kick returner slash third running back type guy, I'm sorry, a Pierce, then you get you got to get better at both running back positions. And, and you can do that, and everybody says you can do that with running backs not having the value they once did. You can do that in the middle of the draft. You can do it a variety of ways, but you got to do it. Whether you look at trying to dabble with some free agency or you just strictly focus on how teams have done it recently with – middle round draft picks or you know from the second round at the high end but basically third fourth and fifth round picks get two guys that can be thunder and lightning or do what you need to do the running game has to fit the talent you have in the passing game for this team to take the next step where I'm at with the running game improving, it has to get better. 2894 need to upgrade the running game. Already have a lot of money invested in the line, so top free agent running back would help this offense the most. Mm-hmm. As much as I like the idea of Saquon Barkley, like that sounds super fun, right? Because now you can just dump down passes to Saquon and let him run after the catch. That's incredibly dangerous. He's really good as a runner. Now he's had some injury concerns, things like that. He would be costly. How much money do you want to spend on a running back uh, who would be close to his, you know, Imagine he's probably around 28, right? So he'd be close to 30. That's when running backs really start to fall off. Yeah. Like he's probably in his late 20s, close to 30. So what are we looking at? But I also feel like, like, how are the Ravens so good running the football? Now, the Ravens have a dynamic quarterback in Lamar Jackson where you always have to have one extra person to commit to Lamar Jackson. But are the Ravens better as a running team than the rest of the league because of their running back talent or because of their offensive line talent? Because Gus Edwards and, you know, Justice Hill, and the they just signed Dalvin Cook, Keaton Mitchell, who was a late-round draft pick, maybe undrafted yeah. altogether. Um, they do it with a committee of running backs. Mm-hmm. They don't do it because they have star running back play. They do it. Lamar Jackson is a huge help here because you, you can always pull it and you have to commit to Lamar. So you're playing like with one less guy defensively. But the reason that the Ravens offensive attack, uh, attack is better is because of their offensive line. Sure. It's not because of their running back room. So I'm, I'm cool with the idea of, it, of like, hey, we need to improve the offensive line this year. We need to be able to win some games by running the football, not just C.J. Shroud 100% of the time. I think the way to do that is with the offensive line. I understand you've committed a lot there. Uh, Juice Scruggs was the second. Jared Patterson was the sixth, whatever. Kenyon Green was a – you drafted in the teens, which watching Kyle Hamilton play, that was a miss. But at the same time, I feel like that's a sunk cost. And if you're really going to try to make this offensive line better, if Tyler Linderbaum type is there at 23 – I know I'm talking about the exact Tyler Linderbaum – but if the best center – in the draft is available at 23 and you know that he is a plug and play starting center for the next seven years and he's going to elevate your running game I'm here for it I like the idea yeah the biggest thing with that is too then I would assume you mean juice goes over to your left guard probably either way either whatever whichever one's better like whoever whoever you draft if they're better at left guard juice is better at center you feel cool if if you feel juice is better suited at left guard the guy you draft better suited at center cool scary thing about that is that because you know how general managers normally work they're going to give green every chance to to earn a starting spot back again and and be as long as he's healthy have a chance to get right back in there if if he sucks that's idiotic and you're and you're costing your team i i 
hate the idea of operating that way. Well, we drafted this guy, number 15, after trading down two years ago. He stinks. If we play him there, we're going to win two less games, but let's do it because we did it. If Nick Casario operates that way, I'm going to curse Nick Casario's name. And I get it, but you also know that that has been more than common common action with a lot of general managers in this league forever because they want to prove everybody wrong and prove them right in taking the guy that they did. Because I think that the one thing that we talked about from an offensive line perspective, too, is the fact that depth was so important to this team. And they they really got lucky in a lot of ways because they made a lot of late moves and and made shift on the fly to kind of not only just cover up for the green injury they knew was coming, but for everybody else that got hurt along the way with Howard and everything else, the way they had to play musical chairs yet again, and it worked out. You want to try and avoid that because you want to set the precedent that we can run it down your throat whenever we feel like it. And you've got three pieces that, of that puzzle already pretty much in place. I like the fact that Juice can play multiple positions. I like the fact you mentioned Patterson. He could play center for you and be your backup center, and you'd be in a really good spot because we know injuries happen. But if you get the chance to get a big-time center, then you take it because now you've got insurance built in if Green doesn't turn out to be that guy. And he just either can't stay healthy or he can't run block, which he's never been able to do well anyway. Or is, it, or is it pass block? He can't pass block well. He run blocks well. So you've got to find a guy that can be more consistent. If you want to set a tone offensively, no matter how good your quarterback is, you set it at the offensive line and the line of scrimmage. If you can do that by getting better in, in the offensive line, and it, it, to your point, if you go and get a center, I'm all for that too because you're not talking about gaping holes all over the place now. You're talking about specifically getting more balance by getting a running game that's more consistent. Yeah, so that's where I'm at with the uh, the offensive lines in the running game in general. Eight eight zero seven, Kyron Williams and Puka are fifth rounders. Casario, Casario can get it done in the draft. That's where I'm at too. Like, you don't need to sign Saquon Barkley or Josh Jacobs or Derrick Henry to add running back talent to the room. Devin A Chain was a third rounder. You don't you don't think a Devin A Chain talent would add a lot to the Texans running back room with the element of speed, uh, the element of an explosive play just waiting to happen. Like you can add extreme talent even outside of free agency. I think for me, like the offensive line, I'm pretty good with it, honestly, as is. I think Jared Patterson showed himself pretty well when he played early on in the season. And I think if you go into next year with Patterson, Scruggs, Kenyon Green, and like a low-level veteran to compete for those two spots, I think you're in a good place. And frankly, like I, I hear you, Joel, most of the time about this Kenyon Green thing. I think Nick Casario's already debunked it. I, I know I know, Damian Pierce is not a first-round pick, but they benched him as fast as they could this year. They made him completely irrelevant to the roster, and they invested a third-round pick into the guy. But so, different like, on a first-round pick, Joe? And, I don't know. You think about the quotes that came out. One, it was, you know, even D'Amico, he did everything he could, man. He was, he was a war. He just he, he toughed it out, and he, he did so much. For, they're going to give him every opportunity to win that job again this offseason. And that's why I, I think for the most part, I, w- I would be surprised if they signed a guard or center to compete with those three. I think they could draft one if they fall in love with the, the yeah. if they fall in love with one at 23. And I, I, I disagree a little bit with Kendrick. Like I, I know where you're coming from. I don't think that the tech one D'Amico didn't draft Kendrick. So like, or Kenyon, I should Kenyon. say. Uh, so like that comes into play. Like D'Amico's D'Amico has control of the starting lineup. Nick Casario is not controlling who starts on his football team, and D'Amico didn't draft Kenyon Green. I don't think they're they're going to cut Kenyon Green. I don't think that they're going to move on from Kenyon Green off the roster. But could I see Kenyon Green being a backup for the Texans next year? Absolutely. Don't misconstrue what I'm saying. I could see him being a backup, sure. But I think that I've seen enough through through general managers over the years 
And, and Rick Smith was one of those guys that always wanted to prove that the guys he drafted were the right guys. And, they, and he gave them every chance to succeed. And now because you have the built-in, hey, he's coming off an injury, I think they're going to give him every chance to earn that starting job and, and go right back to where he was. I hope they also have the wherewithal to say at a certain point, it's just not there. And, yeah. and, and this team's too good to try and take that chance. Yeah, I just don't think D'Amico's committed to Kenyon Green being a starter. I think that everybody should have the right of trying to earn a starting job. And I also don't think it's going to dismiss the possibility of if if the best player available at number 23 is a Tyler Linderbaum type of center, I don't think because of Kenyon Green's status on the team that they would not draft that center. No, I, I, I get that. But what I'm saying is, because of the fact that he was a first-round pick, everybody, you're right, everybody has the right to fight for that position, but because he had that, because we heard both D'Amico and Nick talk about, hey, this kid did everything we asked of him and more, that they're already going to side on giving him a little extra opportunity to try and earn that again. But it shouldn't discount the fact that whether you're, I don't think they're at the point of just taking best player available, but if you get a chance to get a dominating center, with the money you've spent with Shaq, with the money you've spent on the outside with Howard and with Tunsil, and you already know Juice has been very, very good, and Patterson was good when he played to Joe's point, I'll, I'm happy to go get a, a solid center. 7132, hey, Brandon of the Killer Bees, you are correct. You are clueless about the Houston Texans' future plans for their players. Your fellow co-host, Blank, is correct to say, ah, oh, please, Branham. J.J. Watt cannot spot play for Will Anderson. If the Texans brought J.J. Watt in next season, Watt would blow out his knee or break his arms or legs or even separate his shoulders or strain his neck. J.J. Watt is too old and passed it, Branham. Gold football emoji, normal brown football emoji uh, i gotta dip out but the focus has mostly been on bobby slowick but gerard johnson uh his his head coach calls him gerard what do you call him he called him gerald gerard uh, no D'Amico ryan's was asked about gerard johnson today he called him gerald twice Yikes. yeah so just uh keep that in mind D'Amico called gerard johnson gerald twice today when he spoke about gerard johnson but the focus has mostly been on bobby slowick but gerard johnson getting looks as offensive coordinator as well saints Browns, how concerned would you be if the Texans lost both? It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Back to the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5. The show name is a reference to how many great Astros' last name begin with the letter B, who were playing back in the 90s when they were not winning World Series. Bagwell, Biggio, Barry, Bell, and eventually Bergman. You might not remember Barry and Bell, but trust me, you remember Blank and Brenham. Here they are now, live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios. Plenty of Jays in the final half hour of the show because Jeremy is on his way to the airport. Therefore, my man Joe George and I will take you home for the final 30 minutes. We'll be talking about a whole lot more in terms of Texans and the offensive coordinator of Bobby Sloak, possibly even along as, as well as Gerard Johnson. But I think before we move on from the, the topic last segment, Joe, you and I were talking during the break. I just feel like, yeah, it's easy to say, or or it's just one of the first weaknesses to focus on is fixing the running game. But I think another big element of this team being good, no matter how you spend your money and who you draft in the draft, is you got to upgrade the safety position because it's kind of like what we were talking about with Damian Pierce in the fact that a year ago it was Pierce and Petrie. As bad as Pierce turned out to be in terms of a fit more than anything else systematically, Petrie took a step back. And then Jimmy Ward was your big off-season acquisition to help the safety position, and he was never on the field. And he's supposed to be back, but you don't know for how long. I think safety has to be addressed. No, I think safety and kind of corner with that, like as much as Desmond King was valuable 
to stopping the run game. Like he's not great at the nickel spot. I, I really can't imagine a world in which they pay a ton of money for Steven Nelson. So if him and his agent are unreasonable, he's probably gone. Yeah. So like your secondary, I think, is like, is one of your biggest flaws in the offseason. Because like the, on the offensive side, I think the offensive line is good enough. Like we just talked about running back. You can find guys late in the draft. Like the first running back's probably not going to go off the board until at least the 33rd pick. Like there is not going to be a first round running back in the draft this year. But there's still a lot of talent. So you can find guys in the third, fourth round that can contribute in a, in a meaningful way. Plus, there's just cheap guys out there with the top-end market. And CJ should improve most wide receivers or tight ends. Sure. So like, to me, it, it's all about defense. Like I am investing heavily in the defense this offseason. It starts with the secondary. It does. And I think that whether you're looking at, like you said, corner, because th- their first thing is going to be, can we find another veteran corner that can – fit right in where Stevie Nelson left off and not be maybe as difficult of a negotiator as Stevie Nelson still looking to get top dollar money on the free agent market. But I also think that as good as the middle of the linebacker, the middle, the inside linebackers played this year, I I believe that you can do better. I believe that you can get someone that's a little bit more physical and still be athletic that can disrupt a little bit more in the middle of the field. Cashman had an all world season for him, right? Perryman was really good. But I think you could find a guy that can kind of do the best of both of those guys' top-level strengths, and you could be better. Yeah, I know. I, I, t- I totally agree. Part of that uh, equation is definitely like how D'Amico and, and, and Casario view Christian Harris. Like He obviously became a great player at, at the end of the season in the playoffs. You even saw it in this game versus Baltimore. It's like one of the one bright spots in the game against Baltimore. Like How high is his ceiling? Because I, I agree. Like they're, they're there. That's a huge problem. And we saw... You know, in the game on Saturday, your interior defensive line is a huge problem. Like, yeah. I think every problem that the Texans have is it's 90% of it is on defense. Like, I, I question if you can go into a season and going forward with Tank Dell as just your number two wide receiver and not a like high quality of, of depth there because I do, I do question his sustainability year in and year out. Like, and that's important, but. It's all about he's defense. not blocking on a goal line play. He's hopefully. probably more sustainable. Hopefully, Ho- yeah. hopefully he is. But like, it's all about defense. Defense is the number one priority. I think no 90%. questions asked. Like ninety percent yeah. to me, I think running game is makes it a, a lower number on defense. Yeah, I just I think you can find guys. I mean, I know I know the game was out of hand, but look what Dalvin Cook did like against you. I mean, you look across the NFL. There's guys all over the place. You know, saw it with uh, Chase, uh, Chris Brown, Chase Brown, whatever one it is from Illinois. Who was playing in uh, Cincinnati during the end of the season? Yeah. He started to spell, you know, Joe Mixon. You saw it in Vegas this year. Zamir White. He finally stepped up in a big way to replace Josh, Josh Jacobs when he was out. So, but system matters so much here, for sure. I just, I think you can find it. I mean, look, look at Miami. Like Miami's got HN, yes, but they've got what thirty-two-year-old Raheem Mostert. Mostert you got yeah. Jeff Wilson who contributes on a weekly basis for them. I, I to me, the the benefit of like running back being a position you need to replace is that. It's been devalued so much by the rest of the NFL that there are constantly guys who still have juice in the tank and like can contribute in a major way for you. So like, now, I think you can find two Devin Singletaries this offseason. Let me ask you on, on Harris, though, right? Because I think that the question then becomes, can he put on more weight? Can he be a little bit more physical? But if he, if he bulks up or he tries to be more physical, does he lose part of what he's been so valuable doing, which is... Covering both, you know, end to end, side to side, covering every bit of the field, getting in the backfield when you need him to, dropping into coverage when he has to, stopping the run. 
if he gets more physical, does he limit some of the things that have made him so good the second half of the season? It's definitely possible, but the best part about this this situation for this one player is he wants to be D'Amico. Like, if if you have the, the model for Christian Harris, it is like turn him into D'Amico Ryans or turn him into Fred Warner, and, and that's one of the benefits, I think, for that position group specifically is that D'Amico, of all players, of all coaches in the NFL, should be able to more easily identify what he needs at the linebacker spot. Because, like, I hope Cashman comes back. I do, too. I don't I don't think he's going to break the bank, honestly. Like, I know one of the projections we looked at a couple months ago was, like, like $6 million. Yeah. It'd be awesome. Like, right. I, I think Cashman and Harris... You go into next year with that, like you're set up for success. I know you want to get paid, but system matters, especially for him. I hope he's smart enough to realize, look, if I can stay, he, he spoke so glowingly after the season about how much he loved it here. But if you can get a guy that says, hey, I really love this system because it's perfect for me and I might make a little less, but I'll make playoff money, hopefully, but I'll also be in the best case to succeed and I'll stay here. I hope that's the best scenario for both parties because I think if he goes somewhere else for a bag, I think he could fail as easily as he was successful this year. Now look, with all that being said, if they paid, you know, Patrick Queen or Devin White, oh, I'd I'm, love it. I'm not going to be upset about it. Like if they invested in, you know, if they told Grenard, like you're gone, we're not paying you 20 million, but we're going to invest 16 million at, with Patrick Queen or Devin White, I, I think that'd be great too. Like it, it's not. That's why I'm so fascinated by where they go because I think to our point, like they, they have so many holes yeah. to fill defensively, and, and not, not not holes, but where they need to upgrade because like they showed very clearly, like they're not in the tier with Baltimore, Kansas City, Buffalo this weekend, and you play all three of those teams next season. That's the schedule. It's going to be a big part too. But don't you think like because I think David and White are both free agents for Tampa. They're a little bit longer in the tooth. But if you put a more – that's what I was getting to, like, in terms of upgrading the physicality and the flexibility in the middle of, of your, your front seven, I think that would be a huge help for this team. Yeah, yeah. Levante David's definitely much older. He, he'll he be 34 next year when the season starts. Devin White will only be 26. So him and Patrick Queen are both going to be 25, 26 next year. That's so great. Like, there are, there is, there's youth there where, like, it's not like – we're not seeing linebackers, you know, be busted out of the NFL quickly. But you know, the negative to of paying those guys is you have your Shaq Leonard's of the world, who like they paid him, he completely got one, he got one injury, fell off a cliff. Right. But so for me, like I, I would invest in, like if I could choose, I would go heavy heavy defense, and then just hope that CJ and whoever your offense coordinator is can just elevate the talent on offense. Yeah. I think the defense needs a lot of help. I think you use the majority of your money to keep your own and then on defense, and I think you use the majority of your draft to do whatever you need to do offensively and or kind of if you can find, like you said, like, you know, if you can find running back or secondary help, then, you you, you know, if you go to the other side of the defense, maybe you can get a guy or two you can groom that D'Amico likes. But getting to the, the, what we teased into it real quick, though, I mean, look, there's been talk about Bobby, and we know that everybody was upset about Bobby interviewing this week, and, and I think it was more in the delivery than the result because you can't fault a guy for trying to get an upgrade. But Gerard Johnson's a guy that's a local kid that, you know, is the quarterback coach. A lot of people think that it would just be the natural progression if Bobby leaves Gerard Johnson you know, just slides up. But then there's also, you know, uh, it's out there that the Saints, Browns, they're looking at Johnson potentially to be an OC for them, and he gets the upgrade there instead. Are you more concerned, and is it a bigger concern if you lose Bobby and you would lose a Gerard Johnson? I, I think so, because, like, you talk about this, the succession plan, it just it just becomes harder to replace two coordinators. Like, I believe in CJ enough to where 
I don't think you're going to see like what happened with the Eagles and their offense when if the Texans lose Sloak. But you'd like to keep both of them. Mm-hmm. What's hard about this, though, doesn't it feel like Gerard Johnson would probably get his job first before Bobby Sloak would get his? Like like we saw today, the Bears hired Shane Waldron, the OC, who's with the Seahawks. Like They filled that hole. Like There's really two opportunities to lose Johnson. You could lose him before the head coaching cycle ends and then after. As well. I mean, Bobby Sloak could just take him with to wherever he goes True. and make him the OC. He could make him the play caller. D'Amico did that. Like D'Amico, at one point, we thought was not going to call plays here. But I think that that's the attractiveness, to Jeremy's point earlier, too. The attractiveness of getting a Bobby Slowick is you expect him to call plays. So maybe yeah. he's like uh, what Miami did with, was it Frank Smith, where y- y- you bring him in, but McDaniel's going to call the plays, but you get to get all the experience. See, I don't th- I think Jared uh, Johnson needs more seasoning. I-, I wouldn't want him to be the offensive coordinator right away. I-, I would rather them continue to develop him. And I think that losing Gerard Johnson would be okay for me. I just don't want to lose Bobby. And if you lose Bobby, I feel very strongly that they'll go outside the building, get a Shanahan guy that's somewhere else. And maybe it is a guy like Smith that can't call plays in Miami that could get a promotion calling plays in Houston. Yeah, you make him the associate head coach, let him call plays, and, and then it, like it works out great for you. I, I, I kind of agree with Gerard Johnson because, you know, even when Jeremy's been here, like we're all kind of collectively – we're not sure if he's ready to be right. the OC of this team. So if he walks out, you know, as not the OC, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be too upset if that happens. Like it, it sucks, but you can find other quarterback coaches that CJ can work with, and it not really changing. I know CJ has given him a ton of credit for what he's done this year, but like if he's not ready to be your OC, you, know, you almost kind of have to let him walk out the door. See, that's where I, I think too. When you talk about Bobby, and it would be best suited for him to have another year under his belt before he takes a head coaching job. I get that, but I also think that if he push comes to shove and he gets an offer he can't refuse, he'll be just fine calling plays for somebody else because of what he's already done. I think in Gerard Johnson's case, it's, hey, you're getting the first step towards what could be a very quick progression for you, but I think saying automatically you're going to go and be an offensive coordinator and be ready to call plays just because you watched Bobby do it for a year, I think that's a bigger stretch. I think I'd have more concern about that if I was a team hiring him than being concerned if he left and walked out the, the door. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's a huge jump jump to, to do that. I mean, I mean, Gerard Johnson didn't start you know, coaching until 2020. Bobby Slowick is in his 10th year, 10th year yeah. in the NFL. So you know, he went nine years without calling plays. Gerard Johnson going four years without calling plays and then stepping into that role. It's such a massive, massive jump. And that's where, you know, whether, you know, every, every person's different. We all know that. But I do wonder, like, if what happened in Philadelphia with Brian Johnson, their quarterback coach, who was a young guy, hot shot name, they promoted him to OC, it doesn't Damn. go well. Yeah. He might be getting fired yep. by tomorrow. And here's the thing, too, Joe, when you think about it from the standpoint uh, of, of Johnson, as a quarterback coach, it's one thing, hey, he's getting his feet wet, he's learning, in a couple of years he'll be ready, right? But Brian Greasy went from the broadcast booth, just like Johnson, next quarterback, went to the broadcast booth, and, and it's one thing to say, and he was a good quarterback coach for the Niners, or he's a good quarterback coach for the Niners. But when you say, hey, now I want you in, in one year's time, I want I want you to turn around, run the whole offense, and be the offensive coordinator, I think that's a bigger leap than anybody should be be willing to uh, try and make yeah, it, from an organization. And, I, and I, yeah, I think it's a good point because, like, I, you know, I bring up Brian Greasy's name quite a bit as, as like an option 
and this is almost, I guess it's ageist of me, but like I was a freshman in college when Gerard Johnson went into the NFL in 2011. Uh, Brian Greasy last played in the NFL, I, I don't know, 15 years ago? Like, so it's almost like he's got 10 years on. He last played in the NFL in 2008. Gerard Johnson was still in college. Right. So it's like with Brian Greasy, he was 48 years old. So it's just almost this belief that he's going to have much more of a wealth of knowledge. Plus, no offense to Gerard, Brian Greasy was a, was a pretty solid quarterback. He wasn't a great quarterback. He was a solid quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, no, he was. And it's obviously in his bloodlines with his dad and everything like that. But I think that even with him, my point being, too, as the quarterback coach trying to, to, to you know learn along the way to call plays, you need more than just one year. You have to continue to get seasoning. Maybe they give him more. Kind of look at the way Andy Reid kind of groomed the enemy, where he wasn't calling plays, then he was calling some plays, then he was calling all the plays. And I think when you're trying to make that progression, OC is, is a very, very tough from quarterback coach to OC. It's a longer deal than just one year's time. And that's why I think they would go outside even if Sloic leaves. So, all right, we'll leave it there. We can uh, further those conversations tomorrow. But we've got the Car Wreck of the Day coming up. If you guys have nominations for Car Wreck of the Day, get them to us right now, 713-780-3776. You can call us. You can text us. You can hit us up. We'll finish that up to wrap up the show. So don't go anywhere. We'll be back with the Car Wreck of the Day on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5 FM. And before we go to the break, one more opportunity for me to tell you about Daisy Dips because Daisy Dips are the best. They're great any time of the year when you're talking about making your chips better, making your veggie dip or your pizza or your wings better. Yeah, all those things are very, very true. But daisy dips come from the, the heart of daisy, and we always know by doing a dollop of daisy, it's the best sour cream out there. But you don't have to sit there and try and work your way through the kitchen and matriculate through all the seasoning and everything else to make a good dip when you have friends over to the house for the big games. All you got to do is go to your grocery store, grab some daisy dips. They got French onion. They got ranch. They make everything you serve better. And it lets you more, gives you more time to focus on watching the games themselves and knowing that everybody's going to be happy. No matter how good or bad the game is on TV, if you go to Daisy Dips and people are using the dips for all the things that you're serving, you're going to be a hero at the end of the day, and you come out a winner no matter who wins the, wins the big game. Go to your grocery store right now, prepare for this weekend, get you some Daisy Dips. You all right? <laughs> My leg is broken. The ball's coming through. Let me see. Let me see. Ah, ah, money, you brick. Where's my fucking money? This is the Car Wreck of the Day brought to you by CarWreckTexas.com. Hey, back. Final segment of the show. Jeremy had to catch a plane. Go Cougs. Thumbs up if you can see me on Twitch. That's what we normally do. But uh, Joe is here with me, and we'll finish it up the way we always do with the car wreck of the day. If you guys have nominations, you can still there's still some time to get them in, 713-780-3776. Joseph, I'll kick it off. I don't think there's any question. The first, I guess it's a twofold, but I would say Carlson, the kicker for the Packers, and the kicker for the Bills. What's his name? Bass. 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 Both guys. They get the they get a car wreck of the day because wide left, wide right, and both teams are going home. They played a major factor. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, I'm going to go to the uh, the world of uh, Facebook here, and oh. we found uh, a Cowboys fan. I found it interesting uh, some quote some comments here. Joel, okay. Uh, Lita Ramirez says Dak isn't it with a bunch of exclamation points. Uh, and then this Charles guy says, "Tell the youngin to come home to." Come to the home team. CJ would love him. Lita responded, bleep. I wish he would. CJ is great. That's CD Lamb's mom. Oh, no. Yeah. 
going off on Facebook. Oh, Dak my. ain't it. That means that there was more to what we saw in the Packer game about the disconnect between those two. And what's crazy about that is CD broke all the, the, the single season receiving records set by Michael Irvin. Like, yeah. he had a hell of a year. Dak had a hell of a year. It's, wow, Dak, that's a Dak bad look, Mom. Yeah, I know it's tough. I saw Micah Parsons apologized. I didn't see what, I don't know if it was his dad or someone, um, but he, Micah Parsons had to issue a public apology for comments made by one of his family members. Tough look. Yeah, it's a bad look. I mean, I think the, the worst family member of all time in that regard has to be Mahomes' brother, Jackson. Is it? Who's worse than LeVar? That? Yeah, but Jackson not only crossed a I lot know. of lines there, he crossed other lines, too. Yeah, but LeVar is pretty tough. Um, Caleb Williams' dad sounds like he might make a run for the Maybe. trophy. I think you're right, though. I think it's it's either LeVar Ball or it's, it's Jackson Mahomes. I can't think of... There have been wives that have gotten into it before or gotten involved. But not to that level. By the way, speaking of that, CJ's mom got way too much love. It was creepy this weekend. Did you see that? Yeah, it was a lot. It was a little too much. It's, CJ's a good story. Got to show the mom. Yeah, I guess. But when you show, then you have to also realize that the tell factor is going to be way, way more than we needed on social media with everybody that was saying way too much about her attractiveness. Uh, and then another one I got here, Joel. Uh, no? Bill's fan apparently got a uh, tattoo saying uh, Super Bowl champs the day before they lost to the Chiefs. Owie. I just, I don't understand the tattoo thing. Now, there's this Lions fan out there that has a Super Bowl champion for this year tattoo. He's still alive with two games left. But I could never. Never in my wildest dreams, I would say, before a season, I'm going to get a tattoo that says no Super Bowl champions. We already know injuries happen. Yeah, we already know that best laid plans can be completely thrown out. What was it when Jason Terry had, like, he has a tattoo of every team he ever, that ever he ever played on? Yeah. And he got the Celtics one and then got traded, with like, within a, a month or two? It's tough. That's a bad look. And I think he got, it was a championship trophy. Well, he, he is a Larry O'Brien. But it was, a t- it was tied to the Celtics logo somehow. Because he won one with the Celtics, didn't he? I don't think so. I think he won it with the Mavs. No, you're right. I think you're right. I think the Larry O'Brien trophy is from when he's with the Mavs. Yeah, but then he put a Celtics logo in. Yeah. I think it said something similar, and that's that's a bad look. We got anything else? I, I didn't look at the text again. Did, no, I don't else. got anything. That's From good there. for me. I mean, I, the thing is, is I've seen too many people also uh, trying to stick up for the kickers. I get that there's other things that happen during the course of the game where you can take blame, but those things, if both those kicks go through, your driver's seat. I can't tell you how angry I was, and I know you were happy, but when I mean, Carlson missed kickers the kick, are kickers. Freaking ball games. They, ru- they ruin everything. Freaking Niners. I don't want to hear from what's his name, Bang Bang Niners Gang Julian this week because he got lucky. Julian, has, we haven't heard from Julian in a while. I'm I was, surprised I was he curious if he was going to try it on the bench this morning or John and Lynn. Yeah. All right, who wins? Kickers? Oh, kickers for, yeah, sure. for sure. They stink. They're not real people. I told you, if they go on a vacation together because misery loves company. One wide left, one wide right. No one can hit it straight if they played golf. Yeah, Kaimi, you too, buddy. He's a free agent now. Careful. Been missing kicks lately. You going to get rid of him? No, no. All right, I didn't think so. All right, coming up next, it's the bullpen with Joe George and Brian McDonald as BMAC is in the house. That means they'll take you all the way home until 7 o'clock. You guys will enjoy the ride home. Jeremy, myself, and Joe will be back tomorrow for another edition of the Killer Bees. Have a great night, everybody.